I'm Jack Kennedy, and we're here to bring you the latest in MMA. My name is Hunter Boss, and what the boss says goes. What is up, everyone? My name is Keaton McNamara, and you already know what time it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MMA Island podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Kayla McNamara and Hunter Boss. UFC 270. Oh, my goodness. What a card. Lived up to the hype. We have some great podcasts beforehand, the Instagram Live. Now, before we get into that and before we get into the news and everything, a new thing that we're doing, right? We're keeping up with our fantasy team. So, Hunter, after every pay-per-view card, we'll get us updated on the score. So, Hunter, what are the current scores for our fantasy teams? Currently, since it is just the first month, not much has changed. I currently have two points because of my win with Ngannou and my win because of Davis and Figueredo. Keelan is at zero, and Jack, you are also at zero. Well, good start for the person that came in last. I mean, all right, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, here to win. <laughs> a lot of year to go, all right? So with that, let's get started with the news. Um, this is a very interesting fight that just got added to an already loaded fight night in UFC London, right? Aspinall, Volkov, the Komen event. Now, this could be, I originally thought this was headlining until I saw the other headliner. This is Arnold Allen versus Dan Hooker at Featherweight. What a fight. What a fight night. Hunter, what do you think about this fight being booked? This is crazy. This is, I, I feel like we've talked about this in the past. When we talked about Dan Hooker moving down, this is one of the names I gave out for Dan Hooker to fight. This match stylistically is about as even as it can get. Arnold Allen, very great fighter. He has the second longest win streak in the featherweight division right behind the champ. Uh, Seven-fight win streak, hasn't lost inside the octagon yet. He has submissions, he has decisions, but he does not have the knockout yet. Dan Hooker, on the other hand, he fought at featherweight before, moved up to lightweight, found some success, but not a lot. And now this is his first fight back down to featherweight. And in in Dan Hooker's style, he's got submissions, he's got decisions, but he also has knockouts. So this fight's going to be a fantastic for a lot of different reasons here. And I won't get into it yet. We'll save it for the UFC London uh, card. But for now, it's going to be a fantastic fight. And this whole card, I wish we could spend a whole segment talking about that. I know, right? The whole card is so unbelievably good. Oh, my, what a fight this is, ladies and gentlemen. This is big. This is really, really big. And yeah, like Hunter said, this was one of the first names that he actually threw out for Arnold Allen. Dan Hooker at 145. This is such a good fight that so many people are going to sleep on. Because like Hunter said, Arnold Allen has gotten everything but the knockout so far in his career. Yet Dan Hooker has it all, but he doesn't have any of the momentum. And it's really, it's really intriguing to see who gets to that point first. Does Arnold Allen's momentum carry through Dan Hooker or does Dan Hooker use, you know, his experience and his size advantages to get himself back in momentum as well? So, you know, I'm with Hunter in this. I'm not going to give any official breakdowns or predictions until we actually break down this mammoth of a card in probably the next month or so. But preliminarily at the moment, I am so, so excited. This is a big fight at 145, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so like originally I saw this fight got booked and I did not think, I thought it was another fight night. I did not realize it was going to be on the same one as Aspinall versus Volkov. That's insane. 
And there's also been other fights that have been booked on that. I mean, we will – this is like – this is one of those fight on nights. on that card, Patty Pimblet. Exactly. I mean, this is one of those fight nights that is like we always get one that's like a pay-per-view level fight night almost. Like yeah. if, they put a, if they slapped a title fight on top, that's a pay-per-view. This is that This is that fight night. So um, I'm so excited, and it's such a great thing to do at UFC London, the return and everything like that. I love it. Um, to, talk, to talk about this fight a little bit, I mean, Dan Hooker going back down to 145, a division full of killers, but this is – one of the toughest matchups you could put yourself against in your first fight there. Arnold Allen has shown to be not only one of the biggest prospects in MMA right now, but one of the most well-rounded fighters in general in that division. He has takedown ability. He has chin strength. He has cardio. It's going to be a very tough outing for Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker will definitely, I think, possess the strength advantage and the obviously the knockout power. However, how does he handle going back down to his old weight class and a guy that puts on a pace like Arnold Allen? There's so many questions. And honestly, you know, we're saying we're not going to get into talking about too much right now, but I honestly don't even have a prediction right now because I really don't know how I'm feeling about this fight. It's going to have to simmer a little bit. We're going to have to let it sink in. But what a fight on what a loaded fight night. And I love it so much uh, from the UFC. Perfect fight to book. Absolutely. A fantastic fight to book and a great style matchup on itself. But uh, the real question going into this is, will Dan Hooker be able to fight at 145 again? Exactly. You know, we've seen on Instagram, he's posted the photo. He can make it down to that weight again. But how well will he do down at that weight class once again? And the other real question we got to ask ourselves, Arnold Allen, is he legit? You know, he's never faced anyone within the top five or very few in the top 10 at that as well. So He's faced, I think, the highest-ranked opponent is Sadiq Yusuf, who's like currently ranked thirteenth uh, or fourteenth currently. So, you know, how well is he going to do against a guy who's had such a high level of competition in his past? He's fought the best of the best in Islam Makhachev, Dustin Poirier, uh, Edson Barboza. The, the names John go on and on and on. You know, he's got the experience. Arnold Allen's the newcomer. I love these matchups. How well is Arnold Allen going to match up against a guy who's the veteran in this case? Yeah, um, it's a really good point and one I couldn't agree more with, I really have to say. You know, this fight is going to be a real litmus test for Arnold Allen and where he's at right now. If He he doesn't even, for me at the moment, he doesn't have to get through this by blowing Dan Hooker out of the water. Getting through Dan Hooker is big in itself. That's how big of a name Dan Hooker is at this point. Just getting a win over Dan Hooker is going to be really, really big for Arnold Allen if he can get it done. On the flip side of that coin, if Dan Hooker can get his momentum back against someone who, like you said, Hunter's got the second longest running winning streak in the featherweight division, then that's equally as huge for Dan Hooker as well. When Dan Hooker gets momentum behind him, he generally tends to be a lot more solid and convincing than when he's trying to pick it back up again. If he can get it together and if he can keep it going at 145, then who knows where we see Dan Hooker go from here. But this fight's really big for both guys, but for different reasons. Oh, yeah. Look, solid points all the way around for both of you guys. I agree with it all. The other thing I want to point out, too, and, and Hunter, you touched on it a little bit, the current streak of fighters that have been going down a weight class has not been good. We look at Cody Garbrandt, right, got knocked out. And recently on this pay-per-view, Trevin Giles went down from 185 to 170 and himself got knocked out. So how does Dan Hooker handle going back to now, granted it was a former weight class, but the difference between 145 and 155 is massive, especially for a tall guy like Dan Hooker. 
How does his chin hold up? How does his cardio hold up? Can he look, we've seen he can make the weight cut, but can he really make the weight cut to where his body is healthy come fight night? That's something we're going to have to figure out on fight day. And you can only speculate about before I look, no Dan hookers as professional as it gets. I am sure he will make the weight. That's not what we're questioning. What we're questioning is how will his body handle it in a fight like this against Arnold Allen? And that's something that so far, the streak has not looked good for fighters that have changing weight classes going down. So I'm very interested to see how that'll go. But yeah, well, very good fight booked. Let's move on to the best of the best. And now we're talking UFC 270, right? The rest of the podcast devoting to an amazing pay-per-view we just saw. Um, Let's get started with the main event, right? And Ganu versus Gone. Fascinating stuff. And I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this. Um, and the question we're posing for the best of the best, as well as talking about the fight itself, is how would Nganu versus John Jones go after we just saw Nganu uh, basically out-wrestle Cyril Gone? So, Hunter, take it away. What do you think? This fight, this fight was so good for so many different reasons, you know? Coming into that third round, uh, just to give you guys some preface, first yeah. round, Cyril Gone all the way. Second round, I would also agree, Cyril Gone all the way. We saw Nganu shoot for a takedown or two, but not much landed for Nganu. Ngannou seemed to be getting outclassed on the feet. And so and coming into that third round, I'm thinking to myself, crap, Ngannou's losing this. You know, he, he probably doesn't have the cardio that Gon has. Uh, you know, nothing's going for him at this point. He's not being able to land a punch, and all of his punches are coming out slower and slower. And he has that knee injury, which yeah. was rumored about at best, rumored about. No one knew that this was happening until the night of the card when Ngannou yeah. comes walking out with those knee braces. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, crap. Ngannou's hurt. My pick is wrong. This is trash. You it know? showed, too. Yeah. It was bad. It was not good. <laughs> but he goes out there, and he out-wrestles Cyril Gon for three rounds. Round three, round four, round five. Nobody was expecting this. Nobody. And come round five, when Cyril Gon scores the takedown and goes for a leg lock, oh my gosh, you should have seen me. You should have seen my face. I was like, my mouth wide open, jaw was dropped. I was thinking to myself, what are you doing, Cyril Gunn? You got the position. You you sit on him for the rest of the round. You're the new UFC heavyweight champion of the world. Instead, he chases the finish, which honestly, I respect it. I do respect yeah. it. I respect chasing the finish. Showing the whole world that he is the heavyweight champion, not just what a scorecard says. I get that. But when it comes down to fighting, you should not be doing that right now. Focus on the win. Focus on the dub. Uh, Francis Ngannou eventually re- reverses position, stays on Sirogon for the rest of the round, and boom, Francis Ngannou, and still. But if we were going to answer the question here of how well is John Jones going to do against Ngannou, you're not going to like my answer. I think John Jones will beat Ngannou now. Mm. Ask me this a week ago. And I would have said Nganu all day. But what I just saw in that showcase showed me that Nganu is getting old. He, he's brittle now, too. You know, he tore his MCL before that whole training camp or before the whole fight happened. Um, he, striking on the outside, if John Jones continues to strike on the outside the way Cyril Gon did, then he could win the fight easily, too. Uh, Nganu's wrestling is good. I think John Jones' wrestling is better, to be honest. So in all facets of the game, other than power, I'd say John Jones has a beat. So it's, it's scary to think about because I really don't want to answer it this way because I don't like John Jones that much. But <laughs> I think if I'm taking the emotion out of it, John Jones has Ngana be almost everywhere. Francis Ngana can wrestle now. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here. Someone someone just show me the door now because the one time I picked Cyril Ghana, Francis Ngana can I wrestle. Uh, I'm staying on track before I break something. Um, 
No, credit to both guys. What an amazing, amazing main event. Um, like Hunter said, he's absolutely correct in what he said. First two rounds, clear as day for Cyril Gunn. I was happy. I was confident. Cyril Gunn never looked in trouble for a second on the feet. You know, that big knockout shot never really looked like it was going to come. Everything's good. We're happy. Waters are at peace. All that kind of good stuff. Third round, Francis Ngannou comes out. And Francis Ngannou lands a power slam on Cyril Gunn. I am now thinking to myself, this it must just be because it's 6 a.m. here. What have I just seen? Have I just seen Francis Ngannou slam Cyril Gunn? And it turns out, yes, I had. It wasn't a mirage. It wasn't a delusion. It did actually happen. Let me tip my hat to Eric Nixick and Extreme Couture MMA because, Jesus God, the fact that Francis Ngannou can wrestle is a deeply, deeply terrifying prospect for any heavyweight on the planet now. I have been saying for at least two or three years that that has always been the chink in Ngannou's armor, and now it isn't there anymore. Francis Ngannou has proven that when the chips are down and the lights are shining, he can do it all in every facet of the game. And that's a very concerning prospect for anybody who thought they could beat him before. Now, oh, by the way, yeah, absolutely brilliant win for Francis. And I give him my full respect, especially with a torn MCL. I mean, so much respect for that. That's just, that is what champions are made of. What I will say is very briefly before I go on to the Jones question, a lot of people have been speculating about what happens if Gan and Ngani rematch and whether I would actually stick with Gan or not. And I think I would stick with Gan, and I'm going to tell you why. I am in no way discrediting Francis Ngannou. In fact, he earned my respect fully, and I wasn't his biggest fan beforehand, but he very much has my respect now. The problem with Francis Ngannou is this. Cyril Gan, when he was on the ground, had several good opportunities to escape Francis Ngannou because... No disrespect whatsoever to Francis, but all Francis did was lie there and use his weight to keep him on the ground. The gap between Cyril Gann's fight IQ and where it should be is much less than Francis and I think his stand-up. So I would actually give the edge to Cyril Gann the next time they fight because whether it's arrogance, you know, there's no excuse for not expecting it. But I don't think Cyril Gann, I don't think anybody expected to see that Francis Ngannou on fight night. If Cyril Gann is more respectful and expectant of the takedown threat, I think we see a different Cyril Gann in the octagon. But that's by the wayside. Francis won. No one has an issue with that. I very much give him my respect, and Cyril Gann does too. But on to the question Jack asked, because this is a very interesting question and one that I'm very much intrigued by now. Would John Jones beat Francis Ngannou now? And the truth is, I genuinely can't answer this because I haven't seen John Jones at heavyweight. If we if we see a warm-up fight for John Jones, which I know we won't, but if we did, I'd be able to give a much better answer because fighting at light heavyweight and fighting at heavyweight are worlds apart. Be under no illusion whatsoever, no matter what anybody tells you. Fighting at 205 and 215, 220 plus are two very, very different prospects, especially when you're intentionally giving up your speed advantage to be the heaviest that you can be, which personally I don't understand. Um, 
it really comes down to the fundamentals for me personally. John Jones, I think none of us would disagree, is the better wrestler. I think his career proves that. And I certainly don't think the evidence disproves that. The problem with John Jones is this, and this is something not enough people are seeing. John Jones's most basic weakness is his boxing defense. He gets lit up very, very easily. Dominic Reyes arguably should have beat him. Tiago Santos on two blown out legs was out striking John Jones. And even Alexander Gustafson, if you want to take it that far back, outstruck John Jones until that spinning elbow, which I don't know why he doesn't do it anymore, but that's not the point. The point is this. John Jones, in nearly every facet of the game, you would argue has a better IQ than Francis Ngannou, and I wouldn't disagree with that. The problem is Francis Ngannou connects when he's on the feet for the most part, and he connects with more power and more ferocity than anybody in that division. And all it ever takes is one decent shot because Jones's chin, I think, is personally suspect. And if he gets cracked by one of those bombs from Ngannou, it's lights out no matter how good you are in the other aspects. So what I will say is, is I don't know if Jones would win definitively. I don't know if Ngannou would win definitively. But what I will say is do not write Francis Ngannou off because that matchup would be far more evenly balanced than you think it would be. Yes, yes, I agree. And these are fascinating because, okay, we're, let me just start with Ngannou, but I actually, I disagree with both of you a little bit because I am, after this, I'm actually more heavy Francis Ngannou, and let me explain why, all right? Okay. Ngannou was losing the first and second round to Gon. So let me start with breaking down the fight first off, right? So Gon gets out to a comfortable lead first and second round. However, I was so... Honestly, I was disappointed with Cyril Gaon's performance in the first and second round because clearly we've, we've been talking about, okay, yeah, he had a knee injury. I have, thankfully, I have never had this, but someone I know very personally has had this exact same injury, torn MCL with damage to the ACL and stuff like that. His knee fighting with that was gone, which yeah. shot Francis Ngannou. So that's why he, had, he actually put two sleeves on, even though the one, the left knee was, was messed up because if he took a leg kick to that knee, he could have suffered per, like permanent damage to that, which also shows like ultimate respect to Francis and Gong because that guy oh, coming sure. to fight to put on a show, like everyone else would have pulled out for that. I don't know who else would have fought through that literally fought with a torn MCL. So all respect to Francis and Gong. He's going to need surgery after that as well, for sure. Um, and you could tell with the movement, the reason I think, look, credit, so much credit to Cyril Gaon to get out of the way. But the way Francis Ngannou was throwing his shots, you could tell he wasn't putting everything behind it because he would be off balance if he threw it that way. He was throwing shots straight up like this instead of bending into it and actually throwing it like he did. And yeah, he was coming forward a little bit, but that was just to close the gap so Cyril Gaon couldn't land those kicks, not to necessarily put his own offense going forward. So I really... Cyril Gaon, I think he had every opportunity in the world if he actually put some stuff on his shots because he was just tapping Francis Ngannou. He was yeah. just tapping his legs. He was just jabbing him and stuff like that. He never actually went in for anything. I really think – now, maybe it's not Cyril Gaon's, like necessarily in that moment to, to, to steer away from the game plan 100%, but that should have been on his coach to recognize that Francis Ngannou clearly does not have the movement that he has before. And Francis Ngannou's movement is honestly – compared to Cyril Ghosn in a different planet, right? Cyril Ghosn already has the movement on him, but the fact yeah. that he's not going to be able to have the same power that he has because he can't plant fully into it because of his knee injury, 
You need to tell the fighter, take advantage of this and put some damage on it. Because yes, Cyril Gaon had two rounds, but going into the third round, Francis Ngannou seriously had like very little damage taken to him, even though he had dropped those two rounds. Cyril Gaon, I really think, should have gone for the finish or at least put some power behind it like he did against Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis, he wore him down and was putting power onto him. He did not even take a chance with that against Francis Ngannou, which on the surface, who can blame him? But under the circumstances and what we saw, there's a reason Francis Ngannou was not throwing as much as we wanted him to throw. There's a reason Francis Ngannou was, didn't have the same power, the same effect, because he was having to throw with a leg that he was basically not even able to plant on. That is why. So we look like, honestly, at the end of the second round, you could see it. He literally like his, his knee thing slipped down a little bit and you like, you could see it buckle as it was walking back. It was bad. It was really bad. Come third round. And this is why. This is why, and we talked about this before, this is why he left to Extreme Couture because, look, no disrespect, but Extreme Couture, in my opinion, is a far better camp than Fernand Lopez in there. And this is why. They recognize he's down two rounds. They recognize, okay, Cyril Gaon is so much faster than us, and you have the knee injury, so you're not going to be able to, like, counter the movement or throw full into it, take that chance. You know what? We've been working on the wrestling. Let's go to the wrestling. And Francis Ngannou has done with so many fighters I wish they would do and just go nonstop wrestling. If you're a stand-up guy, go and work on your wrestling because you need to do it. And he did it. He took down Cyril Gaon. But how absurd is this, right? The first person to take down Cyril Gaon's entire MMA career is Francis Ngannou? What? But he did it. And he held him down there and he won the fight. I don't care what anyone says. This was unbelievably impressive for Francis Ngannou. This took so much guts and so much work to get him into those strategy. I just, I have the utmost respect for Francis Ngannou. For one, even taking the fight with the knee injury. And two, for the game plan that he employed to beat Cyril Ghosn, just so much respect. And for Cyril Ghosn, I think a real missed opportunity, if I'm being honest. But he's so young in his MMA career, and he will absolutely be back. He's only had 11 fights in three years. It's ridiculous that he's even fighting for a title right now. So that's what I think about the fight itself. Transitioning to the John Jones conversation. The main thing is we've never seen John Jones at heavyweight, and he gets hit. I seriously think, I think a lot of our viewpoints are being shifted a little bit because Ngannou basically didn't land any punches in that fight. And I really attribute that a lot, look, a lot to Cyril Gaon in his movement, right? But a lot to uh, so much to the injury. I put so much into that is why he was not able to throw as much as he wanted to. I think a healthy, we're talking healthy and Ganu, right? Versus a healthy John Jones. I personally, and it's because we don't know, right? We're speculating. I don't think John Jones will have the same movement that Cyril Gaon has in at heavyweight. John Jones is known for his movement at light heavyweight, but if you've seen the way he looks right now, I really don't think he's going to be able to move the same. And it's going to take him a little bit to get used to his heavyweight body in there against the baddest man on the planet right now, Francis Ngannou. The other big thing, John Jones, look, he's been getting hit a lot later in his career. All it takes is one punch from Francis Ngannou. That's all it takes. We cannot forget that. All it takes is one uppercut, one right cross, one anything, and you're done, slept, it's over, on the highlight reel. I think John Jones is going to maybe have the speed factor, and technically his wrestling is better too, and he could get him down, but can he hold Francis Ngannou down is a whole other question, because clearly he's worked on it so much. Francis Ngannou did a sweep. Francis Ngannou did a sweep against Cyril Gaon. 
what are we watching right now? This is ridiculous. This is like, you can hardly do that in the, in the UFC video game. He, they have his wrestling stats so down. I, I, it's ridiculous. I personally give the favor to Francis Ngannou versus John Jones still after that fight because I bank so much of that performance off of the knee injury. I think a healthy Ngannou is going to be throwing and will have good takedown defense against John Jones because we just don't know what John Jones is at heavyweight. And another thing we have to throw into consideration as well, we're almost going on two years now since his last fight. So two yeah. years and a new weight class against Ngannou, who has strength and wrestling. Look, I still like Ngannou. That's fair. That's fair. I can't, I can't argue any of those points because if I were able to, I'd have to see Ngannou or Jones in the octagon. It's high. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. So uh, I won't secede my argument, but I'll, I'll, put, a, I'll put a pin in it until we <laughs> yeah. actually get the fight yeah. confirmed. Yeah, that's as far as we can get. And my last point that I'll make about this, because I think both you guys have covered this so brilliantly already. It's my point is more based towards Jack and it's more of a question because, Jack, you've obviously said that you know so much about this. One ace of John Jones's sleeve or glove could actually be his oblique kick. If that's we know true. Francis's knee is so badly damaged, in your opinion, Jack, how much damage would an oblique kick do to an MCL? It would surely destroy it. The It depends on where he lands it. If he lands it straight up, that wouldn't impact the MCL necessarily. But if he lands it to the side of the knee, that would absolutely like re-injure it for sure. Also, depending on how hard he went in training on it. So Francis yeah. would have to protect that sort of southpaw left leg then? Yeah, most likely, yeah. I just think that's a very interesting uh, absolutely a point. possibility yeah. to this mm-hmm. fight as well. But I'm actually with Jack in this. I would give the favor to Francis Ngannou. He's been more active and he's become more well-rounded. That's genuinely not something I ever thought I'd say. I mean, I don't. I'm betting against him anymore. I'm on the Francis Ngannou train now. Exactly. Well, that that's been my thing for the past couple of fights. Like after I saw him look at Jorginho Rosenstruck and say, "Okay." I have no respect yeah. for you and just walk through him. I was like, look, this is another fighter. There's, there's only two fighters right now I have going for me that, well, three. It's, um, I have Piotr Jan, I would say Kamaru Usman's in that boat, and now Francis Ngannou that I will not bet against them until I see that they can lose. And now technically we have seen Francis Ngannou's able to lose, but not this version of Francis Ngannou. So, yeah, but that was yeah. a switch kick from Derek Lewis. That almost doesn't even <laughs> Bob yeah. Lewis back ahead after oh that. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, crazy main uh-huh. event. But let's talk about the fight of the night, right? For the discussion oh, of the week. Yes. Oh my goodness. They, they just keep getting better. I love them so much. Fran, or not Francis Gano, Brandon Moreno versus Davis and Figueroa. The third fight, the trilogy. Surely it's not over. Figueroa got the win. Well, first off, Hunter, what do you think of the, the decision of the fight? And what do you think is next for each fighter? I might be a little biased in saying this. I, I honestly, I don't think I am. But I, I did see Figgy winning that fight. Really? I saw okay. I saw him winning one, round one, which he outstruck Miranda Moreno, outkicked him, uh, and he had the takedown. So mm-hmm. I have him winning round one. Yeah. I have him winning round three for obvious reasons. I don't have to explain it too much. But for those at home who maybe not did not catch the fight, round three, um, Figueroa dropped him twice, and he basically went on to just win the round. It, it, it wasn't that much of a, it wasn't close. Yeah. Rounds four and five were very, very close. I will give round four to Brandon Moreno. I will do that. I think I can't take it away from him. I think Moreno did win that round. Uh, on one of the judges' scorecards, they had uh, Moreno winning that round too. But it, on the rest of the scorecards, it was just a little strange. They had Figgy win that round. 
it, which was strange to me. Yeah. I had round five going to Figgy. So I had five going to Figgy because he knocked him down that round and he did a lot of damage and the, the striking was very, very even. Moreno stunned him a few times. I'll give him that. But a stun is not nearly as much worth as a knockdown in my eyes. I think if we take a look at history in boxing, a knockdown is instantly, a, what, a 10-8 in that round, Reculin? Yep, that's right. I understand it's not boxing. It's the UFC. It's totally different. But he did drop him. So that mean, that that signifies to me that the most damage was done to Brandon Moreno. So that's why I give Deverson Figueroa round one, round three, and round five. But honestly, if they gave the, the fight to Moreno, I wouldn't have been mad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to question it because that's how close and how good of a fight was. I had friends texting me back and forth the entire time. Who's going to win? Figueroa or Brandon Moreno? And every time I'd go... I think Figueredo is going to win, but honestly, Moreno could easily win this fight. There was no right answer on who, who's going to win that fight because that fight was so unbelievably close for different reasons. We had Brandon Moreno who outboxed Figueredo, I'd say most of the time in that fight, but Figueredo who went for those takedowns and landed a few of them and also landed a few drops, which Moreno was not able to drop Figueredo in this case. So all in all, the whole fight, fantastic. And I guess that's all I'll say on the, on the topic right now. I mean, I, I, this fight leaves me speechless. And, and every time I watch it, it keeps leaving me more speechless. So, Figueredo, I had one in the fight, but it was a really close fight. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are aware, if you are not, we had the best divisional playoff games in the NFL ever over this weekend. Yeah. And it still had nothing on this fight. Anything. Come on, these cannot keep getting much better. This is going to take a brawl into the crowd to try and top these last fights. It has been absolutely fantastic. And I did have Figueredo winning as well. Um, not going to lie, wanted Brandon Moreno to win. I think he's an amazing ambassador for the division, for the company. Everybody loves him. Really did want Brandon Moreno to win. But Davison Figueredo looked a lot better. He really, really did. Um, training in Arizona with Henry Cejudo has really, really helped Davison. And it was clear to see his weight cut looked a lot better. He actually came in a pound under championship yeah. weight. So perhaps my previous arguments about him moving up to bantamweight just doesn't exist anymore. Maybe he's got that managed a lot better. And if he has, that's a credit to him. But I scored the fight exactly the same as Hunter did. Rounds one, three, and five I had for Figueredo. Round three was probably a 10-8 because of the two knockdowns. And then there were two more knockdowns towards the end of the fight as well. So the truth is when you have three or four knockdowns and over the course of a fight, and nothing happens from the other side, you can't argue it. You know, a lot of people are saying Moreno won and it was a robbery. It wasn't a robbery. robbery. It was a fair decision, okay? Figueredo win, I got some very impressive knockdowns, might I add, and he controlled the pace of the action very well. Now, big, big credit and respect to Brandon Moreno for coming back into it, showed that warrior spirit that we know he always shows. Rounds two and four, he did so, so well to come back. I think the crowd really got behind him and he really utilized that very well. Um, but Davison Figueredo was just too good on the night and he was just a better man on the night. It happens. It was a bad day at the office for Brandon Moreno. They will be back for the fourth of that, I am certain. And I have to congratulate Davison Figueredo. I really do. I said in the last episode, I think it was when we had Kendra here, if Davison can stay emotionless if he can stay calm and if he can ride out the storms when Brandon comes back and gets the momentum 
then Davison will win. And, you know, that's the only W I take from this weekend personally, because everything else crapped out in my end. So I'm going to take an analysis dub for myself just because I have to take something. But big congrats to Davison Figueredo. Both guys put on another barn burner of the fight. And here's hoping we see the fourth in Mexico City. Guys, it's ridiculous with these. This is the best. Like, I when, when have you ever seen? And this is what I keep thinking about. Demetrius Johnson has to be the greatest of all time at, at flyweight. However, when have you ever seen, or, or personally myself, been so hyped up for a flyweight fight? Like, I have never in my life been this excited for a flyweight fight. Like, I actually wanted to see this, like, really bad. And so did everybody else. The Brandon Moreno walkout was unbelievable oh my goodness it was crazy you get goosebumps from it and here's my scorecard all right um first off let me say this i think you could score it honestly either way i i really think you could argue it either way and not call it a robbery this fight is one of those fights that was close enough where you i would not call it a robbery for either way and personally i had it moreno I had it now the same scorecards all the way through through until the fifth. So I had Davison round one. He outstruck him round two Moreno uh, round three. Really Moreno was winning that fight until that that drop at the end of the third round, which stole it for Davison. He has to have round three round four. Honestly, I felt comfortable about that round for Moreno. Um, Moreno just outstruck him and, and honestly did it better. Now round five round five. I have Moreno winning round five barely. However, this is why I could see it going to Davison. And I was like, Either way, because of what you guys said, he got the drop. There was one drop in round five, and that gave it to Davison Figueroa. Um, some people arguing it for a slip. It's not a slip. That He caught him clean and it dropped him. It was clean. Um, however, the reason I scored it round five from Brandon Moreno is because he got a takedown. Now, granted, he didn't have much control for it, but he got a, he got a nice takedown in there. He outstruck Davison Figueroa overall, and he stunned Figueroa a couple times toward the end of the round, right? So one of those things alone compared to the drop, you can't make an argument. The drop for sure has more value, right? But I said all of those things, I gave it an edge to Brandon Moreno. However, look, on another day, I might be arguing for the drop for, for Davison Figueroa as to get him the win. I saw it. I think those three things combined still gives him the round because of how well he recovered from it. He got dropped, got right back up and still controlled the round towards the end of it. Um, so that's why I gave it to Brandon Moreno because I really think except for that one moment, the fifth round was really his. And um, other than that, I think the rest of the, the fight was pretty easy to score, but just my biggest takeaway is you could score it really either way. These guys are made to fight each other. We see these rare matchups. These guys are seriously, they were put on this earth to fight each other. And it's very clear. I feel bad for 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 Kaikara France and Askar Askarov, but you know what? Put that fight on hold. I would have never said that until this moment because we're gonna have to see the first ever fourth fight in UFC history. It has to happen because honestly, on another day, if Brandon Moreno cleaned it up and didn't get dropped, that's his fight easy right there. He had a phenomenal game plan and fought really well. It's just Davis and Figueroa look. He, he was just the better man that night. He got the drops and he worked it out with Henry Cejudo. You have to do the fourth fight. They're one, one, and one. And every single time they fight, look, I don't know about you guys. I, I enjoyed that more than even the first time they fought. I really think every single time it gets better and better and better. And they have to do a fourth fight. That is my thing. I think what's next for both of these guys, 
Don't take a break. And I can't believe I'm saying this beforehand. I was like, don't do the fourth fight at all. Forget that. You have to do the fourth fight. I don't care where you do it. I'm so excited. And I love this for the flyweight division. I honestly, I don't think there's ever been a better time for the men's flyweight division. And that's a bold statement with Demetrius Johnson and Henry Cejudo. I do not think there's ever been a better time for the men's flyweight division than right now. Book the fourth fight. We all want to see it. Another classic on hands for us. I like the take. I like the take. I agree with a lot of it. You know, the fourth fight, it needs to happen. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say about this about any other weight class. Exactly. In, in yeah. any other, like, situation. But when it comes down to it, honestly, flyweight doesn't draw in a lot of viewers. Brandon Moreno and Davidson Figueredo, they will draw in the viewers now. Yep. Cool. You know, they, they've got the following. They Everyone wants to see the fourth fight. This is the only acceptable time in which I would be okay with having four back-to-back fights at flyweight. You know, if they're all facing the same opponent four times in a row, whatever, it's fine with me as long as we get another freaking war like we did in the first three, basically. So I'm cool with that. Uh, Jack, when your picks of the fifth round, I really like your argument. I really do. But the only reason I would I would uh, put a little uh, chink in that armor right there is because the takedown, he couldn't keep him down. There was no control. He was up in in less than like 10, 20 seconds, not even. So if he held him down for 30 to, to 45 seconds, I'd honestly be considering Moreno, but the only, uh, the thing is too, Figueredo didn't just knock him down in that round. He did have meaningful strikes. Uh, he had great calf kicks. I think he put him down with the calf kick one time in that round. Um, he had great just strikes in general. He started that giant flurry at the end of the fight, which I will give Moreno did come out on top of that flurry in the last, like last 10 seconds, but Figueredo initiated the flurry and landed like three or five really good strikes in that flurry. So all things considered, fantastic fight fifth round super duper close i would give it to figueredo jack would give it to moreno there is no wrong answer but we do have a a, a somewhat of a right answer and the fact that figueredo did end up winning the fight um though this judge's scorecards would not agree with our picks here if you guys take a look yeah but come on they're mma judges they don't matter i mean judges ufc come on we can do better they always get it wrong we always get it right of course the mma island podcast said right here by hunter boss we always get right that's right so of course fantastic all around keelan what do you got to say screw the official mma judges we don't need them (laughs) it's a collective judges make us three judges we'll score your fights for you it's a collective what the boss says go from all of us right like (laughs) i'm I'm saying here is just for today, I'm on the what the it's boss It's a collective. It's a collective I mean, no, thing we all agree. It. it is yeah. what it is. You know what? I'll give the fight to the referee. It's how you break it. I don't even care. No, look, what an awesome fight. Uh, so, so great. Um, Jack, I got to give you a lot of credit. You've just outlawed me by making <laughs> such a great argument for Brandon Moreno. I really, really like how you've put it together. It's smart and it's different. I can't argue with that. I think, like Hunter said, the only thing that really sort of deflates your argument a little bit is the control time. Yeah. I think if they'd have perhaps held him down somewhere towards the end of the round, then I'm probably on the side of Moreno. I just think with the knockdown and the lack of control time, I mean, these are the margins we're talking about, by the way, in these fights. 10 to 20 seconds of control time and a knockdown have probably stopped Brandon Moreno from retaining his title. That's why this trilogy is so sick. And that's why I cannot wait for this fourth fight. And what I'm going to say is this. I don't know if it's a prediction or if it's just what I want to see. But what I'm going to say is this. Mexico City headlining that fourth fight. 
I want to see Brian Ortega on that card. Oh, yeah. I want to see Yair Rodriguez on that card. Brian Ortega versus Bra- Yair Rodriguez yeah. right there. And I want to see Alejandro Pantoya on that card as well. Let's make it a flyweight featherweight affair. Who even cares anymore? But I want that fight in Mexico City because those fans in Anaheim representing Mexico were some of the best fans I've ever seen just for that walkout alone. It's got to be in Mexico City, that fourth fight. And it will be it will be one of the top five fights of the year. No question. I really think, I don't know about you guys, I really think these guys could headline a pay-per-view if they stack the rest of the show. I really think so, which is ridiculous. When have we ever, like, heard about a flyweight heading a pay-per-view? The the last time it happened was, like, Demetrius Johnson versus uh, Horiguchi, and, like, that got less than 50,000 pay-per-view buys because no one was really interested in the hype behind it. This could work if they did, like, Dude, a Mexico no. City card. I'm, I'm making a big night. I say if they do this in Mexico, this gets close to the million mark. I really think it does. Oh, I don't think that. However, I think it gets, like, it might get close to 400,000. I would say around 400,000. 500, which is a phenomenal pay-per-view day for the UFC yeah. at that. So, um, look. I, about the decision thing, uh, like, really, I think the biggest takeaway is, uh, like, I really could see it going either way. And, like, you guys, your val- your opinion is absolutely valid, and I completely understand the reasoning behind it, the logic behind that. I'm sticking with what I saw and what I felt. I really think Moreno edged it just by a bit. However, it's fine margins, and you cannot call this fight. Anyone calling this fight a robbery for either person, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong, and I think all of us collectively, even though we have differing opinions, can respect each other's dis- like view yeah. on the decision here because yeah, it was exactly. razor-thin margins and what you value over another. The fact that the judges had round four going different ways and that's what decided the fight, that's ridiculous. But what we're talking about, I really think when it comes down to it, that is what the fight was decided about, was that maybe how much you value that takedown over anything is how that fight comes down to it. So guys, what a podcast. I love talking about UFC 270. First paper of the year. Check. Absolutely. Picking up where 2021 left off. By the way, another little shout out. Uh, the Nurmagomedovs are taking over again. That dude's scary. Oh, oh my gosh. It's unfair. I felt bad for Stamen in that fight, but thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Listen to us everywhere, literally everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA.Island and check out our great website, MMAIsland.net. Guys, what a podcast. What fights. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Here's to a bang in 2022.